0: Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by thelines.com. You can follow my co host, the esteemed MLB Savant, something like that, at Mo Nuara on Twitter, two W's. And you could also check out his free MLB bets in our free Discord channel. Like I said, it's free. We're not touts. Head over to thelines.com and click on the free Discord link in the top right hand corner. You could follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich, first and last name, just like Mo. You can follow the lines on Twitter at the Lions U.S. Before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NFL. Also, head over to thelines.com for the best sports betting promos for the NFL Week 2 slate. Mo, we are breaking down our best bets. I have news for our listening and viewing audience. This might have been the toughest week when it comes to betting against the spread in the NFL for me, which is usually not the case when it comes to week two, as it's Don, the overreaction week. But I had a really, really tough time picking a couple bets to discuss today. How are you doing, and how was it for you? I'm feeling
1: kind of the same, to be honest. Uh, Don't think I'll have a... I, I blasted off last week. It didn't really go that well for me. But this week, I think probably five or fewer bets, counting, like, everything, teasers and all that.
0: Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. Definitely going to have fewer than five, maybe fewer than four, maybe just two. We'll see how it goes. I have one that I want to discuss that's a potential bet or a couple potential bets, but we'll get to those in a bit. So, Mo, let's kick it off with Ravens at Bengals. Depending on where you're looking, you're seeing a juiced Bengals minus three or a juiced Ravens plus three and a half total between 46 and 46 and a half. And nothing's really changed since we touched on this game on the Monday edition of beat the closing number when it comes to the injury report. Maybe a little bit more of a negative sense for Baltimore in that regard. As Marlon Humphrey, Ronnie Stanley, Marcus Williams, all appear to be out. Humphrey has a shot to play, at least amongst those three. And Mark Andrews, Tyler Linderbaum are probably the most likely Ravens to see action among the guys, the main key players on Baltimore's injury report. Ravens, once again, no, once again, will play the Bengals without a core healthy roster. Joe Burrow last week against the Browns finished with the worst EPA per drop back. Expected points added per pass attempt, essentially, amongst qualified quarterbacks in week one. 2.6 yards per attempt, the lowest in the league. In that category as well. The market, though, expecting the Bengals to bounce back with this line rising from a juiced Bengals minus two and a half as it reopened on Sunday night to where it is right now. Are we going to get that rebound performance from the Bengals against the Ravens? I think so. Um, I
1: said when we first talked about this game that I thought Bengals minus three and a half was Probably the right line. So I do like them at minus three, even with a little bit of extra juice. Like you said, a lot of injuries piling up for the Ravens. Only Mark Andrews of the five critical players that I'm seeing. Mark Andrews, Marlon Humphrey, Tyler Linderbaum, Ronnie Stanley, Marcus Williams. So that's, if you're counting two key offensive line starters, two key Defensive backfield starters and their can't say all league tight end because Travis Kelsey still exists. Sorry, Eli, <laughs> but when he's on there, he's close, you know. Uh only Mark Andrews of those players practiced. So not looking great for this team to have a lot of their guys out there. And frankly, I didn't like how this Ravens passing offense looked against the Texans in week one. I know that the Texans could have a significantly improved defense, although I have to say Derek Stingley still looks lost, so maybe not. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, their passing offense was just meh, aside from Zay Flowers, who looked very good. I said from the start of the season I thought this would take some time. I thought it was a weird marriage, to be frank, between – The scheme I'm hearing Todd Munkin wants to run and the skill set of Lamar Jackson. So I'm not particularly bullish on this offense in general. And with all these injuries, doubly so, and early in the season, triply so. So I'm a little skeptical of what the Ravens are going to do. And yes, I know that the Bengals royally sucked in week one, but we have a multiple year track record of them being great. I do worry a little bit about Joe Burrow's injury, but if he's healthy or close and ready to go, I do like them to bounce back. He's still throwing to the right guys. T Higgins, Jamar Chase, still getting a ton of targets. So hopefully for my fantasy teams, which include a lot of T Higgins, the Bengals and this bet, the Bengals (laughs) are able to bounce back and get the ball to these guys. But uh, yeah, I do like them to bounce back here at home.
0: OK, so, you know, Mo, I'm going to have a couple of counters, but just to give you a little bit of credit with how you're approaching this game, because with the way the market is moving, it seems like you're going to get closing line value, especially if the Ravens injury front comes to fruition, like at least when it comes to their guys active on Sunday, as it appears to as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. And you would think Burrow bounces back, but a couple of qualifiers for me, even with Marcus Williams and Humphrey likely out. And things do change, I think, if Humphrey does play. But going back to that playoff game, and I get it comes with the caveat that Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey were both on the field for that game, even though Baltimore were still a little bit banged up on that side of the ball. Mike McDonald played zone coverage or utilized zone coverage on... Just under 77% of Burrow's dropbacks in that wildcard game, which, mind you, Cincinnati, we both agree with this notion, probably would have lost if it wasn't for some fumble luck in the fourth quarter. Over 40% of those dropbacks were with split safety coverage. Joe Burrow, 6.53 yards per attempt. And when you think about the Bengals passing offense, when they are at their best, it's against man-to-man coverage when Burrow, to your point that you made last week, and I'm not saying that the Ravens pass rush, even though away did look a lot better and a lot more productive, even though I don't think he had much numbers or many numbers to show for it on the stat sheet. He was able to get pressure, but Burrow and Cincinnati's passing attack, Chase, Higgins, whomever it may be, are much more effective when Burrow is going up against man-to-man coverage because he doesn't have to think. So you couple that with the calf injury maybe still lingering a bit, and the way McDonald and Harbaugh scheme against the Bengals, I don't know if a bounce-back is necessarily in the cards, but on the flip side of that, do you trust Brandon Stevens in zone coverage? You can make the case that that's a huge question mark and a huge liability. You also brought up Lamar Jackson. In this Todd Munkin scheme, and Jackson finished with a league average dropback EPA against the Texans. When Lamar did have a clean pocket, though, against Houston, and at the same time, if you want to play devil's advocate, the Bengals pass rush is arguably more bolstered than Houston's was last week. Lamar was fifteen for fifteen with a clean pocket, so I do think he's a better fit than what you're giving him credit for in this Munkin scheme, and. Also, you combine that with the way Deshaun Watson completely underperformed, especially in the first half. And with the Bengals' safety, two-safety look with Jesse Bates. And by the way, he was super effective with Atlanta in his debut last week. Don't remind me. I know. I know. You bet the Panthers. And Von Bell, no Bell or Bates this season for the Bengals at the safety spot. So, I go back and forth. I'm not saying I'm going to bet Baltimore here, but... Also, if Andrews plays, that upgrades the Ravens' run game, considering he is one of the best run-blocking tight ends in football, assuming he is close to 100%. So the scheme for Baltimore maybe negates a little bit of Burrow and the Bengals passing offense, bouncing back. But also, with the injury front, it's really hard for me to get over the top and say I'm going to bet Ravens juiced plus three and a half here.
1: Yeah, I mean... I could see why someone would want to bet the Ravens, but I just personally, with these injuries, and I was already leaning Bengals bounce back in the spot. I mean, yeah, rule of NFL, I always say, bet the team that looked the worst last week. Maybe the Bengals weren't the worst. Maybe it's the Giants, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Three points uh, and 82 passing yards is a candidate for sure.
0: I think you could say they were the worst, considering the expectation, especially in regards to the betting market. Win total was tied for the highest on the board at 11 and a half, especially when Burrow came back to practice and the NFL futures market, especially win total wise, readjusted. But Mo actually has a couple bets, by the way. If you're listening to this podcast before Thursday Night Football starts, a couple bets in the Discord channel if you want to check those out. Again, we're not doubts. It's free. Over at the lines.com. Mo, the second of your two NFL bats chargers at Titans. Currently the market sits at LA minus three, minus one oh five, even even money. Tennessee, a juiced plus three, minus one fifteen, even some minus one twenties out there, like I mentioned on the reverse side of even money for LA at minus three. But there is a minus 110 both ways, I believe, as of this recording at GM when it comes to a field goal point spread. Total anywhere between 45, 45.5. Where are you going for this game?
1: Going with the team that I liked in the preseason. Uh, it's a stinky one, but I'm going with the Titans plus three here. I think the Chargers are a little bit of overvalued in this spot. I feel like they should probably be minus two and a half, but maybe I'm wrong because... You know, it is the Titans and they looked horrible in week one. So we'll see what happens. But this one, another couple injuries that could move the needle. Austin Eckler, I know we don't usually talk about running backs, but he's yeah. such a big part of their passing game. And man, he was ripping off some long runs in week one. And when your backup is Joshua Kelly, who is pretty close to being a something. I get a little concerned when that sort of a player is maybe going to be a big part of the offense. I don't think Eckler's is going to play. I, I'm just basing that basically off of, they signed something Jarrett Patterson off the practice squad. So I, I think usually when they're elevating guys like that, it's a pretty clear sign that the starter isn't going to go. So if Eckler's out, I think that could be big. Joey Bosa, I'm not sure about. He seems like more of a coin flip. Um, but obviously, he's an impactful player as well. And honestly, the way the Chargers played, man, Joe Lombardi gone, but it's kind of a similar situation. Still too many targets for tight ends and running backs there, man. I mean, yeah. Keenan Allen had his share, but Mike Williams, only five targets. Quentin Johnson was barely a part of the offense.
0: I, I will say, just to preface Williams did leave the game. Yeah, I he was out for a second bit. Yeah, yeah,
1: but he did come back, I believe. So yeah, yeah, still too many targets to tight ends and running backs for my taste. Is in this offense, especially considering the skill set Justin Herbert has. Um, as for week one with the Titans, three interceptions I believe from Ryan Tannehill. It was really bad, but. <laughs> I'm willing to overlook that performance, honestly, just because of his track record in Tennessee. He's been a pretty low turnover quarterback there. I think usually around about a 2% interception rate for his career in Tennessee, which he was a lot higher in Miami. But ever since he went to Tennessee, I mean, 2% is pretty good. So that gives me some hope that hopefully week one was a fluke. I thought he was targeting the right players. Like he threw at, DeAndre Hopkins a ton. Basically, it seemed like half the dropbacks were targeted De- DeAndre Hopkins, but he had Marshawn Lattimore in his back pocket a bunch, so that slowed him down a lot. On the other hand, maybe he gets some J.C. Jackson in this game who still looks like he stinks and is completely lost outside of the Patriots scheme. I don't know what, he seems like, the, J.C. Jackson might be like the Trey Flowers type of guy who just like, he goes somewhere else, completely flops goes back to New England and is like decent again with with the Patriots. I, I they've had so many guys like that. It's usually I think it's usually like linebackers though and such, but I don't know, maybe JC Jackson fits the mold too because he's been completely lost since he left there and he was getting wrecked again last week. So, um yeah, obviously we saw what the Chargers well what the dolphins did to the chargers in the passing game i mean this team doesn't have that sort of weapons but if they can have some success which i think they probably can i, I like the titans at home here man i i think 3 is just a little bit too too much here
0: and just to add on to your point about herbert and his a dot average depth of target i think it was 7.5 which isn't that much higher and was league average last week And when you consider his eight out was 7.0 last season under Lombardi, it's a fair point to say, how has the Chargers passing offense changed? Now that is just a one game sample size. And then on the flip side, like you mentioned, Tannehill was terrible, but Saints defense healthier, especially with one of the best cornerbacks in the league when he is healthy and Marshawn Lattimore. But Tannehill had the second worst completion percentage over expected in week one. You mentioned the Eckler injury, Bosa, when it comes to the Chargers pass rush, missed Wednesday's practice too, so something to monitor there. Also on the injury front for Tennessee, on the flip side, Hopkins has an ankle injury that I don't believe he practiced or maybe was limited on Wednesday, So, but it seems like he's going to play. And the other one to monitor, which a little less likely would be Imani Hooker, the Titans' safety Generated two turnovers last week against the Saints and he's in concussion protocol. So just something to keep in mind, especially when it comes to Herbert, maybe testing and trying to generate more explosive passing plays this week, especially if Eckler isn't in there and they're trying to utilize the passing game when it comes to wheel routes and such with their running back and one of the better running backs in the league. I also want to make the point, Mo, that you had a disclaimer. You made the first disclaimer on this week's podcast as you call me the king of the disclaimers, because you said we don't talk about running backs a Generally lot on this speaking. show. Yes, yes, it is true. But I I got to say, if I was betting this game, I, I don't want to be the podcast that gives out leans per se. But if I was betting this game, I, I would definitely bet the Titans as well. Would you still make the case to bet Tennessee? I'm assuming you got minus 110. On Tennessee, and again, that number is available at Betmgm. Would you still make the case to take Tennessee plus three, minus 120, just for anybody that's listening or watching that can only get that number? Yeah, I think
1: that's okay. Uh, maybe just go a little smaller. Um, minus 115 seems all right, obviously. So I- I'm going to – I think I paid the 115. I'm not sure if I found the 110. I'd have to go back and double check. But, yeah, I just feel like Tennessee should, probably
0: shouldn't be getting three here at home. On to – The third game on the card here. This is stinky. So we have two pretty good AFC matchups to kick off the podcast. Maybe you can make the case that Chargers and Titans isn't so fun if Ryan Tannehill is a below average quarterback and then some overall this season. But again, not disagreeing with most take on the game at all. This is bad. So like I prefaced, and maybe I the first disclaimer, kind of looking back at things, to start the podcast, because I mentioned that this is one of the harder weeks, especially when it when you think about we two generally speaking being the overreaction week, and maybe you you're getting a better number on some spreads just because of the market in general. But once again, another disclaimer, my second on the podcast, I think I've hit the over so far over the first couple of weeks. The market, especially when it comes to the NFL, is the sharpest market. And the toughest and most difficult market to beat when it comes to any sport and any betting market in general. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about some of the numbers that Mo and I are betting this week. When it is a tough ass to pick games, and it's not like we're just picking for the hell of it, these are our bets. We're putting our money where our mouth is. But Washington at Denver, Mo. And I am wearing a Chicago White Sox shirt for anybody that is just listening or can't see it on the video version of the podcast, Chicago White Sox are a dumpster fire. And this pick is coming straight from the dumpster. Mo, I bet Denver minus three. I laid, can you believe it? I laid over a field goal with the Denver Broncos this week. By the way, there is a Broncos minus four at Circa, but minus three, and you could even find a minus 105 in terms of Denver laying over a field goal over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember to head over to thelines.com for the best available number and price shop over at thelines.com. Total is down to 38 and a half at some books. I have a full write-up on this game over at the Lines.com. So here's my thought process taking you through it here, Mo. By the way, we have a great guest coming up in the latter portion of the podcast. Jeff Benson over from Circus Sports joining us to discuss a bunch of topics, including the Aaron Rodgers... Refund gate that happened on Monday night, but more to come on that later on. So, Denver closed minus three, minus 115 against the Raiders on Sunday afternoon. Russell Wilson put up the fourth highest dropback EPA in that game, but you had the missed extra point on Denver's first drive, which resulted in their only touchdown of the game. You also had a missed field goal to begin the third quarter. So, Yes, Denver loses the game outright after closing as a field goal favorite, juiced, and even some unjuiced three and a halfs. But missed opportunities for sure in that game. And then you couple it with the fact that it was a divisional game. Outside of Jonathan Allen, just going back to the Commanders game and looking at the Washington defense and just the Commanders overall, they looked, and I know we we touched on this game very briefly between the Commanders and the Cardinals, considering we we both had... Washington as our survivor pick in week one. They looked horrific as a seven-point favorite. Sam Howell finished number 23 in EPA per drop back. Nothing really stood out to me besides Jonathan Allen and his performance racking up one of the highest pressure rates from an individual defensive lineman standpoint against a terrible Cardinal offense and Arizona team overall, especially without Kyler Murray on the field. I think you get a bounce-back game, speaking of bounce-backs, from this Denver defensive front. I mean, after Zach Allen and Randy Gregory did essentially nothing against a borderline average Vegas Raiders offensive line, I think you see Allen and Gregory generate more pressure in this Denver D-line overall, considering Washington has a bottom-five offensive line across the board. Denver's defense, when it comes to the back seven, is a little bit concerning, especially with Stearns being placed on injured reserve, their starting safety. But you do have a competent backup over the last, what, half a decade, at least, if not full decade, in Jackson. And then offensively for Denver, I don't want to say just because it was a one game sample size that Russell Wilson is fixed, but Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi, speaking of Joe Lombardi, the former Chargers offensive coordinator, They turned Russell Wilson and Shamad J. Pirine into a lower tier and then some, but still a hyper-efficient lower tier version of Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara. So yes, Russell Wilson put up 4.0, a 4.0 ADOT against (laughs) a below average Raiders secondary, but fourth highest drop back EPA. So he was efficient within that extremely low a dot and then some. I know you're you're laughing on the other side there, and we'll get your take in a second. If Judy comes back, you definitely have more opportunities for an explosive, a couple explosive passing plays. If Judy is effective, that's keyword. If and again, if he plays, and then the coaching mismatch for me between Sean Payton and Ron Rivera is big time when it comes to the sidelines. Last point I want to make before you give your rebuttal, or at least just making the case not to bet the game, which is warranted the spread going back to where it was for the most part last week, Denver minus three and a half against the Raiders for it to be the same number against Washington. That's wrong to me. So I laid it with Denver minus three and a half. Mo, what's your take?
1: Yeah, you hit on a lot of the key points, I think for this one, um, I'm very concerned about Russell Wilson's 4.1A dot for sure. Uh, so I think Gary Judy would be a absolutely massive player to have back in the spot. Um, 32 targets and 13 of them only went to wide receivers. Not good when Samaji P. Ryan and Adam Troutman are your leading receivers. This is a very bad situation. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like Washington might be the second worst team. I ranked them 31st in my power ranking this week. Denver feels like the right side. I like them in Survivor. I think they're more than a couple of points better than Washington because I unfortunately had to watch a lot of Washington. Speaking of Survivor, I was trying to sweat that home. Yeah. So I subjected my eyeballs to that. And let me tell you, they made something called Gardek look like J.J. Watt. He was absolutely ravaging the Washington offensive line. Okay. Now, the caveat to that is the. Denver doesn't have very good pass rushers either. So uh, still, if you can't block Arizona's pass rush, I shudder to think of what is going to happen when you start facing actual NFL pass rushes. So uh, I don't know what is going on with this commander's offensive line, Sam Howell's awareness. People are trying to parse, well, was it their fault or Howell's fault? I don't care whose fault it was. It was awful. And somebody's gonna have to tell me how it's gonna be fixed before I have an ounce of confidence that Washington is going to do something positive on an NFL football field.
0: Mo coming out firing. I love it, except he's not going to the window with me, or at least completely.
1: Yeah, the only thing that's like scaring me, honestly, is style of play. I I just worry that this is going to be 17-14 no matter what.
0: (laughs) Listen, and Steven Andres is on the other side. He bet the look-ahead line on Washington. I can't make the case for Washington in this game. And like I said, this was... One of the most difficult cards to cap for me in a long time. I don't remember the last time I laid over a field goal in the NFL. I genuinely don't. So, the fact that I'm doing it with Russell Wilson even either shows you that I'm completely insane, which I still may be, even if the Broncos do cover, or that this is truly, truly the market is... Hyper-efficient this week, which I think is extremely true as well. So, second game I want to touch on, and it's a little bit of a different take than what we hit on on the Monday edition to Beat the Closing Number. By the way, jumping back to Broncos commanders really quick, I'm with Mo on Denver and Survivors. So, I am all in. on the Denver Broncos, like I wrote in my column. What?
1: 2% projected ownership.
0: It's good. It's a good contrarian play, not to use the word contrarian. Not like we're talking about betting splits or anything like that. Can't wait to get Jeff Benson's take in a little bit. Okay, last game here. Only have a little bit of time before Jeff Benson joins us. Miami at New England. So, Mo, we were coming with the angle on the Monday edition to beat the closing number that Pats, if this number got at the plus three, would be an interesting side to gear towards for sure. But Patriots are very banged up on the offensive line and then some. Let's go through the injuries really quick. Trent Brown, concussion, left tackle. Both of your starting guards, limited in practice. Your backup left guard, Sidney Sow, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Maybe something Sow, if, or so, if Mo wants to call him something. I think he definitely warrants a something. In this case, has a concussion himself. David Andrews, Patriots starting center, hamstring injury. Vic Fangio, Dolphins defensive coordinator. Not known for blitzing at a high rate at all, going back to any of his systems and any of his teams that he's coordinated for, including the Denver Broncos. Speaking of Denver, when you go back to last week and what he did to the Chargers, third highest blitz rate, and that mainly paid dividends in the second half, I want to say, considering Chargers' offense was pretty efficient in the first half, but they are going to blitz Mac Jones with more than five guys, and then some, I would expect, if this injury report stays eerily close to what we're seeing for New England on the offensive line, especially when you take into account what we discussed when it came to what the Eagles defensive front and how they dominated down the stretch against New England in the second half. Tua, one of the highest, and one of, right, depending on how you want to look at it, saw his MVP odds dip dramatically this week. Third highest drop back success rate among qualified quarterbacks in week one against a pretty susceptible Chargers secondary as you touched down when you were handicapping Titans Chargers. So you can make the case, especially considering Belichick has struggled against mobile quarterbacks, depending on how much we see to a run with his concussion history. But the Patriots defense held up pretty well against Jalen Hurts. Eagles had a below average offensive efficiency in week one. Belichick switched up his defensive looks a ton in that game. You mentioned that with New England outplaying the Eagles when it came to when it came to yards per play. Christian Gonzalez was really good for a rookie quarterback. Had that huge pass breakup on fourth down to give New England a shot. And then Mac Jones and New England got inside the red zone but couldn't convert. And not only do I trust New England secondary, but having an effective Gonzalez as a rookie. Gives New England more of an opportunity to play man-to-man coverage, which is not to a strength. I don't want to say it's a weakness, but he's much more effective historically against zone defenses. So I'm gonna be waiting to see if this total gets to 47 and a half, gets back to 47 and a half. But Mo, I'm looking under any lean towards one side of the total
1: here. I guess I would lean toward under. I like the Patriots a little bit, though. Um, I'm definitely interested in the Patriots, thinking I'm probably going to end up on them. Steven was scaring me with those offensive line injuries, but then I see only Trent Brown looks like he's really at risk of missing the game, so we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, I thought the Patriots outplayed the Eagles, and so I'm not sure how that warrants a move from minus one on the look ahead to minus three on the Dolphins here. I know they looked very good. At the same time, they got trucked on the ground by the Chargers and, you know, a lot of big plays. But, dude, the Patriots did a very credible job on A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They held them to 126 yards on 20 targets. That's very, very reasonable. So they have a shot to, you know, at least limit this Miami passing attack. And uh, I also thought, you know, that Miami got some mileage, it seemed like, uh, from one of the podcasts and articles I was consuming this week. Some of the motion stuff they, they hit the Chargers with seemed like caught them off guard. I don't think that sort of thing is going to work against Belichick. I, he'll probably have a plan. Um, and yeah, the Patriots have a stronger run-blocking offensive line than the Chargers. At least they did. they definitely did last year. So if Miami's just getting knocked back up front, then yeah, that is a situation that would be very good for your under as well because even though it could result in some Patriots points. I think they're going to be some longer drives, slower points. Kind of like how I was talking about the Chiefs and uh, Lions game last week, which ended up being s- slower, uh, longer drives, like I like I thought. Not a lot of big plays.
0: No, it's a good point. If New England doesn't fall behind two scores like they did last week, and also keep in mind, that was a credit to a Peck 6, so turnover lock. And like Mo and I talk about every podcast, turnover Turnovers, force takeaways are not predictive into the following week. Even if you have a gripe with Mac Jones, it doesn't mean, especially considering the Dolphins' secondary without Jalen Ramsey is a heck of a lot weaker than what the Eagles bring to the table. Okay, that's our betting breakdown for the week two NFL card for bets to run through and a survivor pick as well. Now it's time to be joined by our special guest, the great Jeffrey Benson at Jeffrey Benson 12 on Twitter. He is the director of operations at Circa Sports out in Las Vegas. Jeff, how's it going today? Six, seven hours before Thursday Night Football.
2: Good. Uh, Appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, Obviously getting ready for Thursday Night Football. We just put out the Circa Million lines. Uh, We opened up Circa Survivor for people to make their week two picks uh, yesterday. So Contest season is in full swing. NFL season's in full swing. It's nice to be back uh, having football around and uh, certainly drives a lot of people in. So busy time of year, but uh, exciting
0: nonetheless. And Circa is definitely going to be expanding when it comes to a couple different states in the near future, and we'll touch on that later on with Jeff. But first up, for those listeners and viewers that aren't familiar with Circa Sports model juxtaposed to... A lot of the nationwide operators. how do you guys differ from, again, more of the draftkings, fan duels, those sports books?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. you know I think there's a, a lot of oversaturation uh, when you look around the industry. You know there's a lot of draftkings and fan duels and points bets and bar stools and really a lot of the same thing uh, being done by a lot of the same type of operators. Um, you know, so we've tried to differentiate ourselves for a number of different reasons. You know, I think when you look at, you know, what the DKs and the, the fan duels of the world do, you know, they have a wide ranging menu, uh, but they take low limits, um, and they boot a lot of players that are winning, um, and they don't necessarily have the best prices. Um, and I think when you look across the board to what we're doing, obviously it's a much more meat and potatoes menu. You know we do have some props,, uh, but certainly not the the litany that you know a lot of these recreational books do. Um, so for us, you know while we have a smaller menu, you know we take a fair bet to anything that we hang on our board. Um, the prices that you're going to find, meaning the splits on certain games, you know, whether you're looking at baseball money lines, Um, you know, future markets, things like that, typically you're going to find that with our low hold, high volume model that we have much better prices. We take much bigger bets. uh, And then ultimately at the end of the day, you know, everybody in this game is trying to win. Um, And, you know, quite frankly, the the cold, harsh reality of it is, you know, if you win at DraftKings and FanDuel, um, you know, you get shown the door and you're not welcome back the next day. You know, at Circus Sports, you know, you win here, uh, you know, we're going to pay you with a handshake and a smile and your limits are going to be the same as they were today, uh, if not higher tomorrow. So I'd say those are kind of the core differences uh, in terms of how our shop operates versus maybe some of the more recreational. um,
1: Sorry, I think you cut off at the very last second there for me. Um, Yeah, I wanted to expand on a couple things that you did Did touch on there. Uh, You mentioned taking a fair bet. You mentioned props. So that's kind of something I've always wondered about regarding Circa because you guys had kind of a limited menu. Um, Can you explain to the listeners kind of like how Circa's props offering has evolved over the last few years? Um, My understanding is that you guys were kind of initially off that. And Eli is telling me you guys have actually some pretty robust limits on the props you do offer uh, up to 2K
2: yeah I mean obviously for us uh you know we continue to grow our menu you know what what we were offering day one versus uh today you know continues to grow and expand every day you know I think it's easy to to forget that we've you know only been in business you know five years now uh, you know going on five years now and we we're only in three states you know as Eli alluded to ho- hopefully soon to be four or five here uh, in short order but for us we do do a lot of things manually um, and by hand. And I think when you look at, you know, what a lot of these other places do, you know, it's just a plug and play feed, uh, you know, where they take, you know, a sport Raider or a bet genius, any kind of feed, and they just integrate it into their system. Um, And that allows them to offer, you know, 500,000, 2000 props. Um, But you have such a large surface area to defend that you have to, ultimately offer such a low limit on those props. um, And then anyone that wins, you know, you, you end up showing them the door. So obviously for us, we don't have the same glut of props, but the props that we do hang on the board, um, you know, we take at least a dime or two dimes to come, come post. So I I think for us, it's just a give and take, you know, would you rather have every prop on the board and be able to bet $25? Or would you rather have, you know, a handful of props and be able to bet a thousand or 2,000, You know, for us uh, and for our customer, we think it's the latter. Um, You know, as we continue to grow our risk room and expand, you know, our trading team um, and automate, you know, some of our processes and things like that, you know, we're able to add more props. And I think when you look at, you know, what we've been doing from the NFL this season, you know, we have props on every single game, uh, whereas we just did the primetime games last year. You know, we're doing first touchdown score on, you know, five, six, seven of the games, you know, every week. Um, And we continue to just add to that menu. So, you know, are we ever going to be DraftKings or FanDuel from from that perspective? No. Um, But I think when you log into our app uh, and you come to bet, you know, the props we do hang, uh, I think you're going to be excited to to see, you know, the prices that you get on those props in addition to the limits uh, that you just mentioned as well.
0: You know what I like about the Circus Sports app? It doesn't crash like some books, but I digress. Okay, Jeff. Back to (laughs) looking back at week one and Monday Night Football. You are heavily involved in this conversation, like you are with many conversations on Twitter, rightfully so. Aaron Rodgers and the Prop Gate Refund. As we saw, some books, some legal operators, not all, but some – refund Aaron Rodgers props after he only played I think four snaps before dealing with that torn ACL and some books even later on on Tuesday refunded MVP futures and season long props for Aaron Rodgers maybe even some Super Bowl bets on the Jets and not 100% sure on that but obviously this process and this is within the column that I wrote about on the lines.com to me, it sets the standard that especially for novice betters, anytime you have an injury, not just a well-known and a, a big time player like Aaron Rodgers at that, when you have an injury like this, well, here comes a bonus bet. Here comes a refund, which isn't necessarily an actual refund considering the way bonus bets work. So from that argument, again, from how some sportsbooks took to go about this situation, Jets betters and total betters, every single market then should have gotten a refund per se. I'm not saying that's how it should have gone, but that's the logic to me behind the refund in general in the first place. So again, there are so many different opinions about this, whether it's, well, why do you care so much if sportsbook gives out refunds? And again, a variety of others whether it's at me or at you or at anybody with the opinion of the counter argument towards the refund process. So what do you make of the whole Aaron Rodgers prop gate on Monday night into Tuesday?
2: Uh, it's, you know, for one, it's exhausting. Um, you know, I've, I was hoping to get to the office by uh, 8. AM this morning. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still at home and it's ten fifty six. 56. You know, I I've been arguing with people all morning uh, about this. Like I said, it's, just exhausting you know i i had a huge long tweet you know when this happened with devin booker and yada it's people are just so stupid you know should should we refund jk dobbins you know who was the number one wide receiver or excuse me was the number one running back uh for the baltimore ravens who tore his achilles i mean like people just don't understand what they're arguing and people who love to bet props the more people argue for refunds, the less likely these soft books are to continue to expand their prop menu. People just, people are so short sighted and have no clue what they're arguing. And I don't have a problem if books want to do it. I have a problem with the entitlement from betters when books don't do it. Um, that's really what, where my kind of consternation comes from. Um, you know, every sports book has the ability to, to make their own decisions. Every sports book has the ability to run their business the way they see fit. Um, so if books want a refund, good on them. If, you know, you as a better, you know, making sure that a book refunds you when a star player um, gets hurt early in a game is something that's important for you, then I would tell you politely that Circus Sports may not be the sports book for you today. Um, but to that argument, people are short-sighted in the sense that yes do they get a refund or a bonus bet from these soft recreational books yes what they don't realize is what that is costing them over the lifetime of the value that they play into that specific sports book and what do i mean by that sure you get a 50 dollars bonus bet that you got to roll over six times before you know the next thursday night football game that's all well and good but also you know, you're betting into to props that maybe have a 30 cent or a 40 cent split, whereas if you were betting those at Circa, they'd have a 20 cent split. You know, you're betting into a book that has, you know, a, a future book hold on Super Bowl futures of 25 percent, whereas if you were betting Super Bowl futures at Circa, they may be 15 percent. So I think people get excited about these, you know, free bets, refunds, bonus bets, um, you know, and, and they look at them. Um, as an enticement, but then they also don't realize that over the course of playing into that same book that has worse prices and worse splits, that they're just getting ripped off in a different way. So, is it a great marketing ploy? Yes. Do I have a problem with books doing it? No. What I have a problem with is is the entitlement um, and the whiny behavior from betters uh, when other books don't do that. You know, from us for from my sake and, and circus sports sake everything is about consistency well you refunded rogers but you didn't refund dobbins well we think rogers is more important like it's just right. you get into this whole argument of when to do it when not to do it you did it for this you didn't do it for that for us we abide by our house rules we're consistent in all of our decisions um and if people think that that's not player friendly um or that we're not pro player you know, then they maybe need to do a little bit more research on how this industry works.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with Eli. Uh, in the sense of just why wouldn't the Jets get refunded? You know, I'm I'm completely that that's my problem I've always had with it is where do you draw the line on what gets refunded? Anyways, speaking of the Jets and Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, moving on to week two of the NFL season, one of the biggest market moves Obviously came in Jets Cowboys. Jets go from plus three and a half to plus nine ish out there in the market. Seeing some eight and a half now, I think. How tough is it to determine like what sort of a move you need to make when the quarterback who got hurt has no history with that team as uh as you're looking at in
2: this spot? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Zach Wilson, you know, has some familiarity uh you know with with that scheme and that offense uh you know he's been there uh given that he was drafted by the jets you know it's it's you know one of those spots where you kind of have to figure out what the market you know ultimately thinks of what the drop-off between you know rogers versus wilson is and you know i think you have to look around, you know, they have a great defense, you know, they got some good, good receivers, you know, a, a good backfield, things like that. So all of that stuff also weighs into it. Um, you know, for us, Dylan Sullivan, uh, who's, uh, you know, the primary manager of our NFL markets, he believes the drop off from Rogers to Wilson is worth roughly four and a half to five points. You know, I've seen other people say it's seven to eight points. Uh, you know, I think, there's somewhere there's probably, you know, it's, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, obviously, we've seen this line go from three and a half to nine and a half. Now it's come back a little bit. Um, so based on, you know, Dylan saying, you know, his drop offs worth roughly five points, um, you know, obviously you're going through some key numbers, you know, when, when you think about the seven, uh, but it, it would seem to be in line with, with where the market's at now. Uh, obviously, you know, Dallas, uh, you know, looked great. Uh, in terms of their 40 and 0 shellacking of the Giants. So, you know, maybe there's a bump uh, to their power rating as well. Uh, so I think it's a combination of factors. But, you know, in, in, in this specific instance, you know, when you lose a star quarterback uh, and you're going to a backup, you know, you're trying to find, you're trying to get to that right number as quickly as possible um, and, and figure out what the backup's worth. Uh, you know, you don't want to take, you know, a ton of bets, you know, on one side um, you know, before you find any resistance, you know, on the jets. So I think, you know, the market said that that number was somewhere in the eight and a half, nine and a half range. And, um, you know, the drop off, uh, you know, as I alluded to was, you know, maybe somewhere in the five, six, seven point range depends on, uh, who you ask. And I think that's being reflected in the market uh, and the current line on this, uh, jets Cowboys game.
1: We were wanting to ask about Monday night football as well. Some people might be surprised to see the Browns as favorites on the road against the Steelers when kind of preseason markets had these teams rated pretty closely and a lot of kind of influential people out there liked the Steelers, to be honest. So um, when you see the Browns favored here, is this a case where kind of like wildly diverging week one results impacted your guys' ratings of the, the teams? Because obviously the Browns, played a really strong game even if yeah Tom I mean, Watson didn't look the
2: best <laughs> yeah i think i think that's a, a good way of putting it you know diverging results in week one um ultimately at the end of the day it doesn't matter what we think um you know we could we could think that the steelers are three point favorites seven point favorites that that makes no difference you know we're going to hang a number and the market's going to tell us what they think of that number um and if we're too high or too low you know they're going to bet it accordingly so um it's all about market efficiency. I think when you look at this game, um, you know obviously the Browns are coming off a very impressive victory, uh, you know versus Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know how well Deshaun Watson uh, played when you dig a little bit deeper into the analytics. Uh, and then ultimately, when you look at the other side with the Steelers, you know I think they were a very popular play. Um, you know week one, uh, you know they had it, the line was trending towards pick uh, you know, with the Kittle stuff, uh, and, and possibly Nick Bosa not playing before he signed his extension. Um, I think obviously when you look at that result, uh, you know, with how they got manhandled by, uh, the 49ers, you know, losing Cam Hayward, uh, you know, the stud defensive lineman, um, you know, in terms of when you look at what their EPA, EPA, uh, versus the run is, you know, when he's on the field versus off the field, uh, then when you factor in Deontay Johnson, not, going to suit up with a hamstring injury. Uh, you know, it makes sense uh, to see some movement here towards the Browns. Um, you know, obviously anything under a field goal on either side, um, you know, when you're crossing zero isn't as, Im- you know, isn't as important. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised to see, see the Browns uh, take a little bit of money, uh, at least early in the week. I wouldn't be surprised, um, you know, if we saw this maybe creep back down a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think the diverging week one results, um, you know, injuries and and ultimately how things played out uh, definitely have a little bit of uh, factor into to where this number went. Uh, you know, when you look at the Browns being two and a half point favorites in the spot.
0: Jeff, getting your perspective from the other side of the counter, I think, is so valuable, especially when you mention. I mean, the most important thing that you guys want to set the correct number. When it, whether it's the Jets Cowboys game or Brown Steelers, like we just touched on. But one thing that bettors care most about, at least some on Gambling X, Gambling Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is betting splits. And I'm sure you get a ton of tweets each week. Okay, how many tickets? What's the ticket count? What's the percentage of handle when it comes to the money on this team, whether it be the Browns, the Jets, Steelers, Cowboys, any team? On the Week 2 Slate. We get a lot of comments in our YouTube videos, YouTube chats, saying, what are you talking about? Betting splits matter? That's how I get a sense of what to bet each week. Not saying that's every better, but there are definitely a crop of betters that take into account betting splits and then some. So, maybe from an education standpoint, how do you see and view betting splits From the counter, behind the counter.
2: Take your betting splits, crumple them up and throw them right in the garbage because they're not useful at all. And quite frankly, they'll lead you astray more often than not. Uh, You know, when you think about betting splits and what they've done to the industry, um, yeah, it's just not actionable information. Um, You know, when when a shop comes out and says, you know, we have 99%, you know, of bets on on an over, or on the Colorado Buffaloes, whatever it may be, it's not actionable info for a number of different reasons. So these betting splits are just basically betting splits for square gamblers. So they're not going to point you in the right direction uh, in terms of fading the public, this, that, or the other. Um, And then, you know, ultimately, probably the most important thing is, you know, these betting splits, you know, say, you know, We have x percent of the bets at this specific number but the important part about price discovery and understanding the market and the efficiency is when people are buying and selling and at what price um you know there's you know there's professional groups that may lay three and they may take back six um you know you may have sharp guys lay you know at at minus three and you may have sharp guys at plus four um there's just so many different nuances um you know when you when you think about a line history why a game moved when it moved who moved it was there injury information x y and z and i think the betting splits um you know don't give you that full encapsulated picture um that really tell you the whole story um and and I think it allows bettors to sort of make an assumption about a, a certain game uh why they're blind to a lot of the many important facts um that really kind of go into what shapes that number so for me I don't think betting splits are important you know if if he, if you guys have listeners you know who do I I you know more power to them But uh, I I think, you know, watching an odd screen, um, you know, understanding why and when a line moved, um, you know, looking at a sharper book, um, you know, to understand, you know, this book's at five on the game, you know, but this more recreational books at six, doing some things like that um, is a much better barometer uh, to read the market and get an understanding of a game um, than looking at bet splits for a soft recreational book that boots anybody who has a
0: pulse. It's a great explanation. And that's why if you're able to, it's a good thing to definitely make your own numbers when you're comparing them to the rest of the market. So Jeff, I know you're not one to, especially when it comes to your own bets, to give yourself credit, but I definitely want to, as you came on, beat the closing number last season before the 2022 NFL season kicked off, gave out Chiefs 10 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. That was your favorite NFL future. So just want to give you props, no pun intended, where they are deserved. And as we continue to look at week two, not the futures market, but with the survivor pools out there and whether it's Circus Survivor or any contest for that matter, what do you expect to be? I guess if you want to go through your process when it comes to survivor pools and what do you expect to be the most popular plays of the week and maybe your approach to the week two card
2: yeah i mean obviously you know when you think about the most popular plays it's you know typically going to be the biggest favorites on the card every week um you know i'd say our survivor pool acts a little bit differently just because you know you do have thanksgiving and christmas week um you know in addition to i think you have some of the sharp you know the sharper players you know who are playing in the contest so I think in general speaking, um, you know, when you're talking about survivor contests, you know, you have to understand the size of the pool that you're playing in. Uh, That's probably one of the most important factors. Um, You know, if you're playing in a pool that has 10 people versus a pool that has 500 people versus a pool like Circus Survivor that has 9,267 entries, um, your strategies are gonna vary wildly based on how aggressive Uh, versus how contrarian you need to be. Um, And I think the smaller pool, the less aggressive you need to be. Uh, Whereas in a pool like Circus Survivor, it's not necessarily just about surviving and advancing. Um, It's really about, you know, understanding the future value uh, that each specific team has. uh, And then also understanding or trying to understand to the best of your ability using, you know, a number of different tools out there the percent of people that you believe are going to be on X team. Um, And, you know, when you look at it last week, you know, if you thought that, you know, 38% of the pool, you know, was going to be on the Washington Commanders versus the Arizona Cardinals, you know, maybe pivoting in that specific spot, you know, to find a team that you also think is going to win, um, but that is going to be less widely used, Uh, which will give you a little bit more EV in terms of your selection should a big upset happen, uh, which takes out a large percentage of the pool. I think that's really where people need to look. So A, figuring out future values of teams uh, and then subsequently B, uh, you know, figuring out the percentage uh, that they believe each team is going to be used in that specific week. Uh, I would say those are the, you know, maybe two of the more important things uh, in terms of, You know, putting together a roadmap, you know, for a survivor contest uh, that will give you some leverage as you get deeper into the season.
0: Another thorough and great explanation there when it comes to survivor picks. Just to wrap it up and tie it back to what I mentioned from the get go, Jeff, you guys are only in three states at the moment, but the expansion is coming in Illinois, Kentucky. Any sort of timeline that you could share with our audience when it comes to those particular states?
2: Yeah. I mean, without, uh, without getting a slap on the wrist from our chief compliance officer, uh, <laughs> we, we, we hope to be live in Illinois by the, uh, the end of the month. Um, and we hope to be live in Kentucky by the end of the year. Um, timelines are fluid based on working with the, the gaming commissions, um, and our, you know, our, uh, you know, software vendors and things like that. Uh, but we're certainly pushing to bring sports betting the way it should be to all in this great country. And we, uh, we certainly, you know, look forward to serving all Illinoisans and Kentuckians, um, you know, hopefully by the end of the month uh, and the end of the year uh, as it relates to those two states.
0: I'll be there. I'll buy you a drink or two or three if you're coming in town or zero, depending on if you don't want to drink at all. That is Jeff Benson at Jeffrey JeffreyBenson12 on Twitter, the director of operations over at Circus Sports. Jeff, really, really, really appreciate your time, especially because like you said, you have to get into the office and we're very distracted by Twitter as we all are, or X, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it this morning. So thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me on guys. That is Jeff Benson and for Jeff and for myself and Monowara, Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of beat. The closing number presented by the lines.com. Talk to you on Monday.